take a kitchen timer, set it for 12 minutes. If you can't do 12 minutes, start with five. And every day for five minutes, turn that timer on and write. I don't care if it's duh, just write. (laughs) Write everything that you're thinking. Welcome to another episode of Measured Voices. I'm Walt Huntsman. In episode 21, I sit down with Gail Chapman. The singer-songwriter talks about what she took away from her two years as a member of Prince's band. We'll talk about songwriting as a stream of consciousness and discuss how her writing has evolved. And Gail talks about a big project she's hoping to make happen. All next on Measured Voices. So I'll just start with my first question is, for people who are not that familiar yet with your music, how would you describe it to people? My music is um, people-oriented in a way that um, I write I write about instances and re- real things that have happened. Um, they're not just fictitious things that people can you know, relate to emotionally, but um, I write about the reality of, of specific instances, things that are occurring, current events, protest. As far as style-wise, I kind of run the gamut. I go between folk to rock to funk to jazz to blues. It's just whatever I'm inspired because I have many years of playing them all, so... I get inspired by them all. Now you mentioned you mentioned that uh, current events, uh, things that are going on around you. So, <clears throat> as a songwriter, would you say that it's important then for to uh, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open to what's going on? Yeah, read and and watch less television. Television, I think, really skews our perceptions and doesn't allow us to think and make up our own minds about stuff. And by reading, you get to formulate your own mind pictures, so to speak. And you read a number of different perceptions of other writers, therefore, you know, building this picture, which formulates an opinion. Um, And we all have them, of course. But when when you are looking at several sources for information, um, you get a broader perspective and can develop your storyline for a song or the um, what you want to hit home on in a song that way. I'll talk a little bit more about that reading connection because uh, as you were you were talking about it, I was thinking, well, w- when we read, our mind has to become the television, create the image in our head. Right. So uh, would you say then that that, that Reading, the more you read and the more you are able to create those images in your head from what you read, helps you then to create images in your songs? Yeah. I mean, how what I write ultimately affects everybody who hears it differently. Mm-hmm. Not one person will interpret it the same way. People have similar ideas and opinions about what something means, but they don't always agree on one thing, unless it's obviously about, you know, I got kicked out and my truck broke down and I lost my dog. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, you know, 
There's a lot of songs about that. That's the classic country song right there. Classic, yeah. <laughs> you've talked, you spent two years as part of the Princess Band, and you've talked about that on numerous occasions, so we won't really go into that too much here. You want. <laughs> but what I, and you've talked about how, how it came about uh, and, and what made you decide to leave, but what did you take away from the experience? There's no shortcuts in life. You have to work. Just because I had the opportunity to work with Prince doesn't mean I'm any different than anybody else in that I have to have a good work ethic. I have to be clear on what I want and why. I think knowing your why is much more important than knowing your how. Because <laughs> you don't always know how to get something done, but you know why you have to get it done. Um, and as a starting point for accomplishing any task or goal in life, the why always looms over your head bigger than the how, because the how figures itself out. Now, did he demonstrate a, 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 work, a real strong work ethic when you were with him? Yeah, he did from the very beginning, and it only grew from there, even after I left. Um, I was recently in a panel through the um, PRN alumni, Prince Roger Nelson alumni organization, and um, there were six of us gals up there that had worked with them, and all of us, one of the main themes, and all of us that were up there covered probably 25, 30 years of working with him, and... Um, he lived and worked as he thought and developed his music, and he had these people that worked with him. There was very little time off. I mean, you didn't sell your soul as much as you you knew what you were there for, and if Prince wanted you to go to work, you went to work. It didn't matter what time of day or night. You got up and you went. <laughs> now your music, uh, although I, I was listening to a few songs yesterday, and I could hear a little bit of you know, that funk that Prince often would have in some of his music. But a lot of your music does differ style-wise from his. But was there something from that experience that that influenced you as far as uh, developing your own style or or your own approach to songwriting? Or that's a good question. Um, I think. Working with him influenced me in a number of ways. Uh, to put my finger on one of those ways, it definitely improved my timing, my sense of timing to work with him. Uh, there's always the idea of dynamics. You've got to have a good idea of dynamics and sound layering when you're um, when you're developing a production in the studio and a lot of people don't really understand how that works but if you look at a if you're making a sandwich for lunch just take a bologna sandwich the ingredients are two pieces of bread whatever spread you're going to put on it uh, whatever uh, maybe you have lettuce tomato onion two slices of bologna, and two slices of cheese. Well, if you make all of those different instruments and instrumentation with different rhythms and different, um, different sounds and sound textures, 
that all get incorporated. They all have a part to play that is really important. Some parts are minimal, some are more prominent, and those decisions are made by the person who's developing the production, and oftentimes that's the artist, and oftentimes we hear those things in our heads before we even get it recorded, but we know how we want to layer those sounds. Mm -hmm. The engineer then helps... Uh, to bring other some sounds more out front and bring others back as the supportive. Like, for instance, drums and bass are always very supportive in their role to keep the, the downbeat, the backbeat, everything that's happening underneath all the other sounds like horns, keyboards, guitar, and vocals. But it's, a, it's this sandwich of stuff that's then coordinated to operate together. Now, were you, were you writing already at this time? Or had you done much writing at that point? Uh, when you I were... had. I, I had been writing, and I wrote a few things that Prince liked, and then uh, Prince decided that he was going to take the band that he was working with, that was me and Des and Bobby and Andre, out to, and Matt, out to um, Colorado and record our stuff, our music. So everybody got a chance to contribute one or two tunes. Now, who, so it sounds like you were influenced uh, by your time with Prince, but as, as far as your songwriting goes, who, who would you cite as, as some of your, your main influences coming up? Uh, well, from, from the time when I passed... When I began to have an awareness that more more music existed than my mother's, which was opera and classical, <laughs> um, I really enjoyed fusion music and okay. jazz. I also enjoyed funk. I loved Frank Zappa, George Duke. Uh, oh, who were those horn players? Ronnie Laws, <laughs> Shaka Khan, all those people. That, I mean... My mother would, would hear me uh, cranking up Shaka Khan, and she'd say, why is she always yelling? And I'd go, she's <laughs> not. That's, that's called soul singing, Mom. <laughs> it's for Lake Opera, only different. <laughs> but those are, and, you know, and then Bonnie Raitt came along. She was an influence in my life. Um, Katie Lang. Anybody that sang with heart that didn't have a lot of twang, I really enjoyed. Anything that had some, some true rhythm and, and soul. Uh, Marvin Gaye, I loved Marvin Gaye. Aretha it, Franklin, all those people, all the Motown stuff it was great. It's interesting that you mentioned Bonnie Raitt because as I was listening to some of your music the other day, uh, and I can't re recall the specific song, but there was a song that you were doing and I could hear hints of Bonnie Raitt in the, in the style of that particular song. So I, I, I have always been equated to two different artists my, most of my life, Bonnie Raitt and Carole King. And I just kind of go, well. But when I write, I write what comes out. I don't try and make it sound like a specific thing. I, I believe that lyrics have their own rhythm. And in order to put those lyrics to more life, 
musically, you have to be able to have the right musical rhythm and mood chord-wise to really bring those, those lyrics to life. Well, this, uh, this seems like a, a perfect place to let people get a sense of that. So uh, is there a song of yours that uh, we should let people hear at this point? Yeah.
there's a couple of CDs I've done. The last one I put out was in 2003, unfortunately. I really would have loved to have just spent my life recording and producing music, but that's not how things happened here in Boise. So, but that one is uh, a lot of my songs with two songs that other people wrote that I liked and included. So, uh, and then there was one that I did some writing with Jan Skrzynski in 1982. Nine, we put out a CD called Black Diamond Change of Direction, and I still have people that ask me if I have CDs of that, and I go, no, I got a bunch of cassette tapes that maybe they work. I'd be happy to happy to give those to you. <laughs> hey, you, you, you mentioned you mentioned that uh, the CD was in two thousand three, and that you haven't been able to to do any recording since then. Do, but do you? Do you still you still write though? Uh, I still write and I still um, arrange. I still work with other people on their on their stuff. Um, it's just everything. Unless you know how to record yourself, and unfortunately, I don't. I I just don't. I mean, I know how to run a PA, mm-hmm. and I know how to plug stuff into that. And engineering your own sound is really different. And I I just I choose to do it in a studio and they're not cheap. So would would you say that you're a prolific writer or or do you spend- I was more prolific years uh probably 15 years ago but um when I sit down to write writing is and it, it's kind of a virtuous act but it's also something you decide to do. It's a stream of consciousness. And to get back into it, I find really isn't that difficult. Um, I often will tell my students, if you want to get better at writing, here's a couple of ways to proceed. One is an exercise in simply allowing yourself to write what you think. And to do that, I tell them, um, take a kitchen timer, set it for 12 minutes, if you can't do 12 minutes, start with five. And every day for five minutes, turn that timer on and write. I don't care if it's duh, just write. <laughs> write everything that you're thinking. Then don't look at it. When that dinger goes off, close the book. Next day, open it up, do the same thing. Do that for seven days in a row. And then look at thematically what has come. It's sort of like a mini diary of what's been on your mind. And you have choices to choose from, things that will have a life of their own. Some of it will be nonsense. Some of it will actually be stuff that you really are concerned about. And you can thus, it's like a springboard for more activity of what you think and what you can write down and put rhythm and life and music to. So Now, you, you, use, you use the phrase stream of consciousness, which... Uh, Literature uh, students know is at least partially associated with William Faulkner. Most of his novels, very stream of consciousness. Do you set aside time to write, or do you you just wait to see wait to see when that stream is coming? Or no, no, I I really am a firm believer that when you sit down to write, you've already decided, and your stream of consciousness comes. 
Uh, I mean, now, so you're, you're giving yourself permission, basically, okay. to, to do this. Well, that, well, that makes sense. Uh, now, I, I write, and I tend to keep everything I've written, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whether it's finished yeah. or not, uh, even if I know it's, it's not going to be finished, it's not going to be very good, just in case. Do you keep files of, of bits and ideas, or, or when you sit down to write, does it, do you, are you able to proceed from I, start to finish? I do have a file that is chock full of stuff that I haven't looked at in years, but maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what bits are in there? Well, the thing—the thing that is most surprising about looking at old stuff you've written is what you were actually thinking at the time. <laughs> I mean, it—you it, don't even recognize your own mental capacity at times when you look in in back in in literal files that you've kept and written. <laughs> it's funny. Some of them are really great. Some of them, frankly, suck. But. <laughs> <laughs> as as I was getting ready uh, for our conversation, I came across uh, an episode of Boise Song Talk that you did with James Coberly Smith back in 2012. And in it, he asked you to give advice to aspiring and even older songwriters. And you said, you started out by saying simplicity is key. And then you advised songwriters to uh, get as many descriptive words into a song as possible, then rewrite it. Would your advice be the same now? Yeah. I mean, illustrative conversation paints pictures in the mind. I mean, if you really want people to pay attention uh, to what you're saying, you have to give them something to grab onto, even if they're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, there's a story to everything, but how you describe the story makes a difference. So I th- what's the term? Illustra- illustrative? Illustrative? I mean, to illustrate through language what the picture is, what you're trying to describe, I think is really important to keep a listener's brain engaged with what you're doing. And it's not just the lyrics. I mean, there's some great lyrics with some terrible music out there. But that can easily be transformed with permission, of course. But <laughs> Now, part of that advice was rewrite it. Do you spend a, a lot of time on revising when you write? I, I spend enough time to get rid of the optional words. Excessive, excessive words, ands, thes, withs, wherefores, whys, and uh, too much of anything is probably not good. I mean, you've got to cut it down to, to simple terms and make it crystal clear as, as, as much as possible. Well, I think at this point we'll we'll listen to another example of of your music. Maybe there is one, one that I co-wrote with um, Morris Pleasure in 2005. Morris Pleasure was um, worked with Ray Charles, uh, was Janet and Michael Jackson's music director. Grew up with Earth, Wind, and Fire. He's just an incredible 
musician and writer, and he has a record company called Watersign Records. And he sent me a music bed one day and said, I need some lyrics. Can you put something to this? And I said, sure. Send me the file. And the file was titled H2O. I think I didn't realize that, that it was just his way of remembering what it was he sent to me. I thought he wanted a water theme. <laughs> so I made a water theme, and that water theme uh, turned out pretty good. I sent it back, and he says, oh, I love this. What do you call it? And I said, well, H2O. <laughs> so that song, that song is very illustrative of water. <laughs> and um, everything in it leads to some form of movement in a water sense or specifically water like the frost on my window pane it's one of the first lines in the songs we can plug so in yeah you can plug that one plug in plug in h2o right here then
as we come out of that, you've been writing for a little while now. We, we, won't, we won't age either one of us. But how would you say that your songwriting has changed with time? I'm not as concerned anymore with the ill effects of others, what I would term short-sighted opinions. I, I'm less concerned about that um, because when I sit down to write, there's usually an intention. My intent is to evoke something. And usually I want it to be evoked f- to bring something to people's attention and then also have uh, an, an idea thrown in in the lyrics that somehow resolves conflict or gives a suggestion to resolution in that. So in writing, I think it's important not to just state a problem if that's what you're writing about, like a protest song. You have to be willing to stick your neck out just a little further for some resolution options in that. Maybe you don't, but like I've heard some writers who, who do their protest songs and then in the, their resolution is to blow everything up in the end. And it's like, we wonder where we get some of these ideas, you know? It's like, okay. And then they, they go through their personal changes and they stop writing about those kinds of things. And I've, I've seen it and heard it in, in other really famous people. So as, as, as life goes on, your approach to life changes, in a sense, with regard to the, the songwriting, it yeah. sounds like. Or as they say, as the hormones fade and your brain takes over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I hadn't heard that one, but uh, maybe that explains why I think I'm writing better songs now. <laughs> uh, more reflective, you uh, know. Well, you get older... <laughs> Some of those things that used to annoy us are just like, eh, <laughs> anymore. Now, the, the, the song H2O you mentioned was a collaboration, and you've done some collaborations with others. Um, what is it about that experience that you enjoy? They're not my thoughts. There's somebody else's perspective that I get to, um, that I have the opportunity to actually contribute musically too. A lot of times people will come to me with lyrics and say, I need some help with, with the music for it. And then I'll, I'll generally ask them to simply read it to me because that way I can hear the rhythm of the lyrics and what they're trying to do. And oftentimes that is the first step towards creating the mood. And if their lyrics aren't clear in what it is that they're they're trying to say, then we sit down and we work on, on clarity. Now, with H2O, you were given the music and you wrote the words, but that example that you were just talking about, um, you, you were being asked for the music. Is, is there a typical type of collaboration that you do? Do you typically provide music or typically provide words, or does it? I don't think anything's typical. <laughs> I mean, I get requests for both, so... That's why I don't think it's it's typical. It's common. It's more common that people will ask for help than uh, with with stuff when they're when they are really stuck and they really are they really want to do something with it. I recently had the opportunity to write with with a guy named David Proctor who lives down the block from me. He was a 
column writer, I think, for one of the papers for a while in town. I don't want to get it wrong, but I honestly don't remember exactly what, but I know he's been a journalist. And he wrote these lyrics for Christmas, and he had wanted for a long time to get it on the Idaho Ho Christmas CD, and mm-hmm. this year it's on the Idaho Christmas CD because I said, sure, I'll help you with that. And so I think it was in March, I went down to his house, and we we looked at the lyrics, we crossed out some things, we checked out the the lyrical rhythm, put it together, and he says, well, what do you, what do you got for music? So I picked up my guitar, and I just started thinking, and then put it together, and it, it came together rather quickly. Once, once the clarity of, of structure in the song was there, and the lyrical content was stating what he, what he really meant without all the extra peripheral stuff, you know, there's uh, the elements of the elements of writing with clarity. I think takes practice and and an understanding that not every word that you utter needs to be written. There's just so anyway. We we whittled it down mm-hmm. to several verses and a bridge and a chorus that came every you know so often. So we had all that, and then we put the music to it, and then. Um, I never actually played it on the guitar. I recorded it on the piano. So I did a piano recording of it, and um, I, we got informed a couple of weeks ago that it, it made it onto the album. So it's like, woohoo! <laughs> yeah, because apparently they have lots of, lots of um, people that contribute songs to the annual Christmas CD that come out, and they so... And they listen to them, and there's a panel that that chooses those songs and then puts it out. So hmm. I'm going to go kind of big picture here. You've been you've been involved in music for a while. How how do you see the changes in the music industry since the days that you were a part of Prince's band? What what changes have you noticed? That's a a big question. Because there's some things that don't look like they change and others that do, but I know that it's more of a struggle for writers anymore to make a living, but artists also have their struggles. Um, it's also harder for record companies, the, the major record labels, to, and I could be wrong about this, it seems that it's it's... There's more competition because of the independent artists that have learned how to do business well for themselves. And that takes away from their arena, which I don't find anything wrong with that because <laughs> we have, we've all heard the stories about Steve Miller and how he, he basically handled his own, what do you call it? contractual stuff with the executives. There's some really good stories out there. But, you know, basically, nobody liked the record companies. I mean, Prince didn't like them. Prince, you know, wrote Slave on his face and became an unpronounceable symbol because um, 
He was tired of being owned. He wanted his stuff back. That seems to work for the bigger artists. A lot of independent <clears throat> people, they, uh, seems like a lot of music now is downloadable. And I've heard, I've heard other people say that it's harder through that venue for, for them to actually make money on their recordings than even it would have been under the record companies. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Having been single almost my entire life, I find that um, there's only so many hours in a day to do what you have to do, and if you want to make your mortgage payment, you got to work. So I, I have spent less time than I'd like to doing what I love and more time doing other things to just pay the bills. So when it comes to the business of music... Um, I have much to learn. I don't really know. All I know is that uh, as an entrepreneur, um, you run a business like anything else, you have to spend a lot of time in it. And if you're in that business, it's not, you know, you're either an artist or you're a business person. And if you're an artist, you struggle. And if you're a business person, you struggle, but at least you're, making more money than the artist does. Well, let's, uh, I want to, I want to take that thought and uh, apply it to maybe your view of the state of songwriting the music that you hear and have heard. Has, how has his song, how has songwriting, I don't know, changed since uh, the days of Prince? I, I, it seems like to me that there are, that the really good songs are still really good, but perhaps there's a lot more. Oh, I just, I think it's cyclical. The music that comes out and is popular today is far different than it was in the 60s. And yet people, people whose grandparents grew up in the 60s, these kids, these grandkids of those hippies from the 60s still listen to Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and the Beatles and Chicago and all of these groups. I mean, that's like ancient material in a way, <laughs> but it's not. It's really still relevant. Um, it's still very influential. Um, what has changed is how people, how people actually make the music anymore. I mean, if you don't have a guitar, but you have a workstation, you can do just about anything. Mm -hmm. A workstation being a keyboard with um, 3,500 sounds, and you can track everything on the keyboard. And if you know how to work the dang thing, I own two workstations, and I <laughs> they're, they're really fun to play with and make all kinds of great sounds for the bands you're working in, but um, I still... I still have not learned the complete functionality of of the two instruments I own. I mean, they're incredibly powerful. So the way people make music has changed. Uh, the sounds that they choose to use, they may sound real, but oftentimes they're, they're downloaded from the Internet and paid for, and uh, they can manipulate those sounds mm. or add samples to those sounds or 
uh, you know, it's all done electronically, much of it. Let's let's go a little. We'll go a little smaller picture now. You've been a part of the Boise music scene for a number of years. What kind of changes, uh, how or how has it changed in your experience over that time? Well, I've gotten older. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> we all? Uh, there's a lot of young people out there now that have great energy that I've never heard of that people seem to like and it's a whole different young crowd out there but I still hang out with a lot of the younger musicians um, a few of them anyway and work with them because it's fun it's nothing worse than working with disgruntled grumpy old people <laughs> in terms of venues and is 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 the scene different now or has it grown a lot based on I think it's grown in that it's more open and more favorable to different types of musical entertainment I mean for a long time burlesque was something that was talked about behind things and done in private parties but never publicly now they have an openly burlesque thing that happens every other week in several places downtown Mm. They also have um, more gay influence, which isn't so bad. I mean, those people are people that have something to say. And they have tons of talent and ability, and they should be heard. I mean, I don't care... I don't care who they go home with. (laughs) I just... They have talent, they have ability, and they are um, putting stuff out there that is fun to watch and fun to listen to. There's more acceptance of that. Uh, There's more acceptance of spoken word and storytelling with music or uh, performance art with like live painting or art being done to live music. There's more of that. Uh, there was one guy that was here for a while named uh, Patrick Hunter, and he goes by Pat Casso. He no longer lives in Boise, but um, he does a project called STEAM and is part of the Black Caucus organization. And he does performance art with the painting and involves arts with technology. So through music and art and uh, specifically technological information through engineering and bringing kids into that. And it's a really cool concept because music isn't just for entertainment. It can be used as a tool to educate in all areas because music isn't just about sound. Um, There's everything from frequencies to light to, I mean, it's all... I mean, all this digital and electronic stuff that's been going on with it is, has expanded the universe of music and how it affects people and how people can actually relate to it. You, you talked about teaching in there, and, and you've, over, over the years, uh, given guitar and piano lessons. Um, so obviously they're, getting, they're learning something from you. What, what had... If anything, have you learned from your students over the years? Patience. I've learned a tremendous amount from them. 
um, first of all, I've learned the music of today that's popular from my students because in order to help them learn it, I have to learn it and I have to know it better than they do, which isn't too hard most of the time because <laughs> a few things about music hasn't changed. Um, it's e the, the better you are as a musician, the better you are at, at hearing um, chord progressions and, and it makes it much easier to, to help your students no matter what the genre, excuse me, and no matter what the um, style but um, my students have also been really helpful in that they actually believe what I say, most of them. I've only <laughs> had a few that were taking lessons because their parents wanted them to, not because they wanted to. Okay. What uh, final question I have, uh, what does the future hold for, for your music and, and you as far as? I don't know. I have some great opportunities coming up. I want to be able to um, put a performance together for the Capri Theater where Prince's first, first uh, performance was when the record company came and the whole, kind of, the whole performance kind of blew up. <laughs> it was a funny thing that happened way back in 1980. Seven, <laughs> and but anyway, um, I've had the opportunity to to go back to Minneapolis uh, in April and in October of this year, and spend time at the Capri and actually perform there. But they want me to come back and do a performance, so I've teamed up with Patrick Hunter, Pat Casso, and this steamroller. Thing uh, or steam is the name of the the function, but I have to come up with the show for the music, and I got to find the people that are willing to do it uh, for almost no money, <laughs> which is kind of hard to do. But if we can get enough sponsors to sponsor it, then I have a few people in mind. To help because they're they're putting a tech center together and a learning center and they're building a new building there and uh, they've always been reaching out to the underserved public in the Minneapolis area so that's one area where that will help to open up what I'm doing because I have new material I've been wanting to perform but really no place to do it except for one place in town. Vine Wine Shop over on Maple Grove. Mm -hmm. we've, um, we've played there. I get to I get to go play my own stuff there for three hours, and that's always fun. I can make stuff up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's inspiring me at the moment? That person sitting over there. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I have a lot of things in my mind, mostly because. Even though people barely know who I am here in, in Boise, I'm known all over the world because of who I used to work for. And it's, it's a phenomenal door that's sitting there with an, a crack in it that I'm starting to learn to pull open a little more. But I have to have more of a plan. So right now the plan is to keep working on 
my developing the tunes that I have and uh, find the people to help me go do this thing in Minneapolis. Well, good luck with that project. Yeah, because that is all to that's all to help um, bring attention to certain underserved communities and uh, as well as the uh, elder communities that you know because it's either the the underprivileged or the underserved like the elders you know where they it seems like they're all shoved in these communities around here there's did you know there's over 300 um, assisted living memory care and independent living communities in the valley here I did not. I'm sure in a few more years I'll be needing to start looking at them. But uh, no, I was yeah. not aware that there where were that the, many. Where do the where, where do the elder people go? That's where they go. They end up in those places. They're not. They're not all alike either. Uh, the places. Neither are the people. They're as different as the individuals that live there. And I sing in a lot of those. So I'm singing every day. I'm gonna go do one in a f- not too far. F- future. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of singing, I, I think we'll, we'll close this episode with another sample of your music, and I want to I thank you for, for sitting down and, and talking with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was All lots right. of fun, Walt. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much.
my thanks to Gail Chapman. You'll find links to her Facebook page, her music, and her website at our home, measured-voices.blogspot.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Measured Voices. Episode 22 will feature a conversation with Scott Sprague of Innocent Man. Until then, I'm Walt Huntsman, and this has been Measured Voices. Measured Voices.